Amen. Hey, so good to be to be with you and a joy to to worship with you this morning and just to just the sense of what God's doing uh, in your lives, in your community, um, in this region. And um, so Pastor Doug and Lois are very dear to us. Um, we feel the same. You guys are like family. And, you know, we've we've been with Pastor Craig and Moni at Victory Faith for the last 19 years. But wholeheartedly, if the Lord had not planted us there, we easily could have uh, spent the last 19 years serving under the two of you. Um, you guys are heroes to us. Um, and just the way that you live life and the way that you do ministry, your, your faith, your authenticity, um, your faithfulness. You know, faithfulness isn't something necessarily that we celebrate a lot, but God, God uses that to describe himself as the faithful one. And, um, and you guys have just been faithful through all the years, and, and you're still doing what you're doing. And so I just want to honor you. I want to say thank you for for being faithful to the call of God on your life, for being faithful to build a church, for not quitting uh, when you could have probably quit a thousand times over. You just kept going and you kept believing in people and you kept pastoring people and loving on people. You know, pastoring is hard because you will love, you will love people and some of those people will bite your hand. Some of those people will leave your church and they won't ever let you know why. Some of those people will get bitter and twisted with things and they just, le- they just leave and it's painful and it's hard. And at those days you're like, why am I a pastor again? Because this doesn't seem to be very much fun. And, but you guys have done that through, through, the, you know, through the difficult seasons, through the great seasons. And uh, just want to honor you guys. And, you know, I would just say to you as a church, I'm sure you love your senior pastors, but for all of us, for all of us, familiarity is a funny thing. Familiarity can kind of make something just, take all the color out of it and just make something gray. And um, we can come in and go, man, these guys are so multicolored and so beautiful and it's amazing. But you see the, you see the same Pastor Doug and Lois every single week and you can get used to that. And you can, you can just think, you can take for granted what's right in front of you. And, and I would just encourage you to, to, to let the Lord uh, give you fresh eyes to see the gift of God that you have in your senior leaders, to honor them and, and to continue to support them and, and build with them and run with them. Amen. So love you guys. And, uh, and then my beautiful family. And uh, yeah, so we're just going to do an altar call now based on what Rayma just preached. And, but uh, it's awesome. Um, you know, exercise, we would all agree exercise is good for us, yeah? Um, but not all exercise is equally as enjoyable as other forms of exercise, correct? Like running, for example. Where are my runners? Who loves to run? See, I don't understand you. I don't get you. I mean, you know, I admire you, and I'm inspired by that, but I hate to run. I have tried, my, I have tried to be a runner. I, I have tried my hardest, and there's just nothing about running that I enjoy. Maybe that goes back to the days of running home from elementary school as quickly as I could to get home so I wouldn't get beat up. As a kid, maybe it goes back to some memory that maybe the Lord will just heal this morning while I'm in the presence of God. But like, I just, I can't find any joy in running. But we live in Spokane. Spokane hosts something called Bloomsday. Bloomsday is this 12K run where like 50 to 60,000 people descend on Spokane and they do this run together. So many years ago, my wife and I thought to ourselves, it would be fun to do Bloomsday. 
Now, I don't know why we equated fun and running together, but nonetheless, we thought, this would be fun. We'll just join in with everybody. We'll kind of run at our own pace. We'll run when we want to run. We'll walk when we want to walk. It'll be a fun marriage bonding experience. <laughs> and so we joined and we did it. But if you've ever done Bloomsday, uh, as a part of the race, there is this, this hill called Doomsday Hill, <laughs> properly named, right? It's three quarters of a mile upwards, okay? Like if running alone on flat surfaces isn't hell enough, like somebody thought, let's add elevation into it. This will be fun. And so it's three quarters of a mile uphill. And so we're just, we're surviving out there, right? Just trying to make it through. And we see this hill in front of us and we're like, not today, Satan, right? Like this is, this is not, babe, you are going to have to piggyback me to the top of the hill. There's no way. Call an Uber. We're not making it to the top right? That's what's running through my mind. I'm like, I want to quit. I want to give up. But here's the wonderful thing about Doomsday Hill is either side of the hill is lined with people who are not running the race, but they're there to encourage you who are running your race. Probably people who did Bloomsday once and thought, I would rather be on the sidelines but it's awesome. As you approach and you're so discouraged, you don't want to keep going. They are clap. They begin to clap for you. They don't know you, but clearly they can tell that you're about to die and you need help. And so they are cheering and they are like, you got this. You're awesome. I mean, they're lying to you, but it doesn't matter. They're just saying all of these great things and all this encouragement. They've got signs. They've got banners. They're high-fiving you, slapping you on the back. People are handing out water. People are handing out like popsicles. There were some guys guys handing out beer. I'm not kidding. Just anything to help you get to the top of the mountain. But we kept going because of that encouragement. Something happened. We're like, I got this. I am a runner. You know, like something dug in and we're like, we, we just, we felt so much encouragement to just keep going. Listen, in life, it can be so discouraging where we live what we struggle, what we face. The enemy can come and make, it, make us feel like we're the only ones who have been here. We're the only generation that's ever faced the pandemic. We're the, only, we're the only ones who have ever gone through economic crisis. We're the only ones who struggle with relational conflict or someone in the family not serving Jesus. We're the only ones that are persecuted because of our faith. And I'm just here to remind you today what Hebrews chapter 12 verse 1 says. It says, therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles, and let us run with perseverance the race that is marked out before us. This is on the heels of Hebrews chapter 11, where it talks about all the heroes of the faith who have run their race, who, who served like David the purpose of God in their generation. And, and they have all graduated and they've all gone to heaven. And what it's saying is, is that now on the earth, as you and I serve God, as we try to be who God has called us to be, as we try to accomplish the purpose of God in our generation, to see God do great things in our lives and through our lives, we have a company of people who have gone before us and they are clapping for us and they are cheering for us and they are saying, keep going, keep running. I know you want to quit. I know you want to give up. I, want, I know you think it's difficult, but you're in good company. Keep going going. Hold to the faith. Stay strong. Remember the things that God has spoken. Don't give up on the promise of God. This morning, could we be encouraged by the word of God to step more deeply and more fully into the season 
that we all find ourselves living in presently today. Ephesians chapter 3, verse 20. I want to unpack this small little scripture that's got so much in it. It says, now to him who is able to do immeasurably more. Everybody say more. more. Immeasurably more than all we ask or all we imagine. According to what? His power that is at work within us. The Message Bible says it like this. It says, God can do anything, you know. Let me remind us this morning, God can do anything. God can do anything, you know, far more than you could imagine. What can you imagine? God says, I can do more. More than you could guess. More than you could request. What request could you make of God? And God says, I can do more than you can imagine, guess, or request in your wildest dreams. Dream your biggest dream. And God says, I'm able to do more than that. He does it not by pushing us around, but by working within us, his spirit deeply and gently within us. About 30 years ago, I was a brand new believer. I got filled with the Holy Spirit and I was so full of faith, like childlike faith. I read the Bible and I read books about what God did in the earth and I just had this audacious faith to believe that God wanted to use my life in a significant way. And so an opportunity came for us to do a mission trip to Guatemala, me and three other friends. And so we decided that we were going to go to Guatemala. And I'm not kidding you. In our mind's eye, we were going there to preach the gospel. We were going to heal the sick. We were going to raise dead people up. We're going to find every dead person around. We were going to raise them up from the dead. We were going to cast out demons. People are like, you're going to learn Spanish? I'm like, no, God's going to give me the language. I'm not kidding you. That's what I thought. I was like, God's going to give me Spanish. And if you told me differently, I would have said, shut up. In the name of Jesus, God is my, my faith. That's what my faith said. My faith said I was just going to show up and God, I'm just, I'm just going to stand up and, and fluently sp- start speaking Spanish. I'm just trying to, that was my disposition. That was the faith we had. So we jumped in a, in a 1977 GMC camperized van and drove from Kamloops, British Columbia, 4,100 miles all the way to Guatemala City. Me and my friends, Right? And we showed up in Guatemala City. It was early in the morning. We pulled over into a bank parking lot to try and pull out the phone number of the one person that we had contact with in Guatemala City, a city of a million people. And we realized we had left the phone number at home. So no cell phones. Now there is, you know, a yellow pages, you know, but the gentleman's name we're trying to find is Jorge Santiso. In Guatemala, like there couldn't be a more Guatemalan name than that. And so we're up the creek without a paddle. I mean, we have no clue what we're going to do. How in the heck four people in a camperized van who are white, who don't speak Spanish, and apparently God didn't sovereignly give me the language, (laughs) we're sitting there and we just begin to pray because all all of us has run out. A few hours later, a man pulls into the parking lot. It's the bank manager for the random bank that we pulled up to. The bank manager comes over to our vehicle. He happens to speak English. We begin to tell him we're trying to find such and such ministry that is led by Jorge Santiso. And he smiles with a big grin and he says, you're never going to believe this, but I personally know Jorge and I know the family. And he invites us... 
He invites us into the bank and he calls them on our behalf and we meet up. See, where, where our human ability had run out and we were at the end of ourselves, God is well able to work all things for good to those who love him. We think we're just randomly pulling and we just think we're doing it and God is like, I am honestly fixing your stupid. Like that's literally what, and he's been doing it for 30 years in my life and I love it. To him who is able to do immeasurably more. Do you guys know that 69 years ago, the world record for running the one mile was four minutes and one second. And people said, physically, it would be impossible for anybody to do it in under four minutes. All of these journals, medical journals, were written at the time, and everybody was saying unanimously the same thing. It's impossible for the human body to run the mile in under four minutes. And then Roger Bannister would show up on the scene, and he would break it, the world record, and he would run it in three minutes and 59.4 seconds. And that man would do what everybody said was impossible. Today, the world record is three minutes and 43 seconds. The world said it would be impossible to fly, right? The world said it would be impossible to fly. And in 1903, the Wright brothers would do the impossible and the, we would learn to begin to fly. Once we could fly, they said it would be impossible to fly fast enough to break the sound barrier. Nobody could ever do that. And then in 1947, Charles Yeager would do the impossible and would break the sound barrier. They said, well, well it would, it'll be impossible. We'll never be able to like, leave planet Earth and go, to a, go somewhere else. We'll never be able to go to the moon. And then in 1969, we would land on the moon. There was a time in the world where they said, it's impossible. We will never be able to do a heart transplant on, another, on a human being. And yet we live in a day, modern, like our modern world, today in the world, 3,500 heart transplants will happen and take place. All of those things were said to be impossible and mankind's ability and power proved them wrong. But here's the kicker. Our ability eventually runs out. We only have so much wisdom. We only have so much power. We only have so much ability. And there will always reach a point in our lives and in our circumstances where our ability runs out. And as followers of Jesus Christ, that's where this scripture comes alive. To him who is able to do immeasurably more than we could ask, than we could think, than we could imagine. When our power runs out, God says, I have power. When our ability runs out, God says, I have ability. When our wisdom runs out, God says, I have more than enough for you. And my question for us this morning is, how big is your God? What is your view of God right now in your life, in your circumstance? How do you see God? Because he is the one that self-existed. He is the one that created the heavens and the earth. He is the one that, 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 that did all the miracles through all of the Old Testament. And he is the one who came in the form of a man and did miracles on the earth. He is the one, the Bible says, who was able to do immeasurably more. That's what we're talking about, immeasurably more. But, but how do we see him? Where, where, where are we trying to face the things that we are facing with a wallet-sized picture of God. Our circumstance is so big. The devil 
and, 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 and the resistance against us feels so big. But, but, but how big is our God? Like when David showed up on the scene, when all of Israel was trembling and in fear of, of the giant Goliath, and Saul and the army, everybody had forgot that God kills giants. Everybody had, like our prophetic word, everybody had forgot that, that God does miracles. They, they had a big picture of their enemy and a small picture of God. And the whole army for 40 days was trembling and in fear and nobody engaged the giant. And yet David comes along with a different perspective. David comes along and he stares at the giant and he says, the giant is big, but God is bigger. You come at me with spear and you come at me with a javelin. I come at you in the name of the Lord. David showed up on the scene and David said, listen, I know who I am and I know who my God is. And God is looking to restore to his people a glorious vision and revelation of who he is. We, we, we magnify what we give our attention to. And sometimes we focus so much on our problems and so much on our difficulties and so much on what everybody else is saying that it magnifies and it is so big. And there is a much better view as we begin to look to Jesus, as we begin to look to the author and the finisher of our faith, as we begin to set our eyes on the one who, who, who has all power and all knowledge and is full of all wisdom. Last time I checked, God has not changed. He's the same God, but life and circumstance has a funny way of talking us out of what we once believed. So when I got, first got saved, I would do anything. I remember being in a town one time with a friend and we were doing ministry and we were like 20 years old and there was this satanic church in the town that we were doing ministry in and, and we're, we're, we're like an outreach evangelistic team, right? About 15 of us traveling across Canada doing outreach. So we show up to this town and my friend Jason Flurry and I, we hear about this satanic church that's in the community. And so we begin to conspire together, he and I, and we're like, this is, and we begin to dream with God. This is what we're gonna do. We're gonna fast and we're gonna pray and then we're going to go down to the satanic church when they're having a service. And we're going to march around that satanic church like seven times, just like they did in Jericho. And then we're going to bust through the front doors, walk down the aisle, stand up, preach the gospel, and lead all these Satanists to Jesus. Right? Like this is, we are planning this, okay? We are conspiring this in our childlike, faith-filled hearts, and, and, and it gets back to our leaders and our leaders shut down the whole operation, right? They're like, you guys will be dead by morning. And I remember at the time thinking, yeah, you're probably right. But you know what? Modern day, I look back on that story and I just think to myself, what if? What if it did? What if? What would have happened what would have happened if, if these two young guys full of faith would have busted through that door? What would, could, what would God have done? Would God have bailed our sorry butts out of that situation? I, I hope so. But I look back on that and I think, maybe that's what God's looking for. Maybe, maybe we do all of this reasoning and all of this stuff and we say, it's not reasonable. It doesn't make sense. But, but God doesn't make sense. We don't, we fit God into our little human box and we, we put him in our nice, neat, tidy spot and that's, but that's not who he is. Yeah. 
He doesn't fit in the construct of how I, I see him. He's outside of time. Maybe God's looking for a generation of people who get a grand and glorious vision of who their God is in a fresh and a new way. Maybe you've been talked out of that childlike faith. Maybe God wants to restore it this morning. Maybe life and circumstances taught you to pray small and to believe for small and just hang on and just survive. Is that the goal? I mean, did Jesus die so we could just survive, just kind of play cute church, sing a few songs, kumbaya, go home? No, there is a much bigger vision that God has for our lives. God is able. God is not like us. And God's ability is greater than our ability. God is able. That word able means miraculous ability. God has miraculous ability. God is able to do immeasurably more, more than you need. Think about it. What do you need? Where do you need a miracle? Where do you need what you can't do and you, 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 you can't fix? What needs fixed that you can't fix? Where do, you, where do you need something supernatural? You're parked in a van at the bank and you've run out of luck and you need a miracle. Where do you need a miracle? Your marriage? A lost son or daughter who's not serving Jesus? A business that's failing? Debt that's stacking up? Sickness and illness that's, that's riddled in your body? Where do you need a miracle? Hurts, habits, hang-ups, addiction, secret sin, things that plague us? Like, where do we need a miracle from God in our lives? And what he's saying is he's saying, I have more ability than you have need. Take all your need and stack it up, and my ability will always supersede it. It's, it's super abundant more than that. Why would we apologize to go to the source of all power to ask him to meet our need when he's like, I could meet your need and I could meet everybody's need and I still have all this leftover power. More than we need, more than we could imagine. The Bible says more than we could dream. You know, children are fascinating. Children have this, this, this ability at a young age to just dream. They just, they talk about crazy stuff. They haven't learned to live long enough to know what's reasonable and to know what works. And so a five-year-old child will look at the sky and they'll see the birds flying and they think, I'm going to fly too. And you could be like, well, that's ridiculous. Humans don't fly. You can't fly. You don't have wings. You're not a bird. No, you, no, you missed the point. You missed the point. There's something God-given to dream, to imagine, just to, just, to, just to think. You talk to a seven-year-old about, about world hunger and the seven-year-old thinks to themselves, well, I want to fix that. You can't fix that. We've been trying to fix that. No, 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 no. Let them dream. There's this natural ability to dream. God wants to restore that to us. I remember a time with my four children, like talking to Justice, who was the youngest. Justice, what do you want to be when you grow up? He goes, I want to be a builder. You know, he's always walking around with his shorts hanging down at his knees trying to pull them up because he had all these tools that he would put in his pocket. Real tools, plastic tools, you know, vice grips and all that and his plastic screwdriver and all that. I want to be a builder. Destiny wanted to be a baker. Justice and Destiny had a deal. Justice said, I'll build your bakery. You know, so he's kind of already trying to make money off his sister, right? 
I'll loan you the money. I'll build it. I'll loan you the money, right? Isaac was going to be a professional football player. He's like, dad, you don't have to make a lot of money. I know that, you know, ministry doesn't pay much, but I'm going to be rich. I'm going to buy you that 69 Camaro that you can drive to church and preach in, right? And then Rama, you heard from her, you know, typical firstborn, aiming real low. She thought to herself at the age of 12, I'm going to be the first female president of the United States. Right? And as a good dad, you hear that and you're thinking, ah, I mean, the likelihood of you becoming the first female president of the United States, percentage-wise, is, is very, very minuscule. But guess what I did not do? I didn't say anything to the contrary but just encourage it and fan it. Why? Because regardless of whether that happens, I don't want to kill the ability to dream. And life can kick the you-know-what out of all of us, and we lose our ability to dream. And, and we lose our ability to dream because we've lost sight of who we serve. And sometimes we got to go back in our history and say, what did God do? What did God save you from? What did God deliver you from? What miracles has he done? And go back and visit that and draw that faith forward to say, then what is God wanting to do right now? Jeremiah 32, 17, Ah, sovereign Lord, you've made the heavens and the earth by your great power and outstretched arm. Nothing is too hard for you. That's what I want us to get. This is what I want me to get. I'm like, Lord, restore that childlike faith. I believe in wisdom. Don't get me wrong. I believe we should use wisdom. But I believe a lot of times what we call wisdom is unbelief. I do believe there's wisdom found in the counsel of many people. So if you have a good group of counselors around you and, and they're all saying one thing and you're, you're thinking something different, probably the wisdom's found in, 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 the, in that counsel of people. But a lot of times what we call wisdom is really just unbelief and we justify it in all types of ways. We pray practical. We aim practical. I think it was Michelangelo who said, the problem with most of us is not that we aim too high and we miss, but we aim too low and we achieve it. We reach our goals because we set them so, so low. And God's like, you can... You, if, if you dream it, I can do immeasurably more. See, I used to, I remember when I first got saved, I used to pray for whole high school campuses to come to know Jesus. Just believing for that. Whole cities that would come to Christ. But there's somewhere along the line, something happened, and I lost my way, and I began to pray these, like, these, these simple, weak, attainable prayers praying for one person or praying for an individual over here. And that's still beneficial, but my ability to dream big, it vanished because life, life happened. God wants us to dream big. You know, we were driving by um, Kurt Cobain Memorial Park. I didn't even know it existed, but we saw it and we were going to visit it. And the kids said, nah, you know, um, but I saw it this morning again, and something just quickened in my spirit. I'm like, isn't it interesting that Aberdeen is kind of known? Like, if you don't live here, uh, if, if, people, if people think about the reputation of Aberdeen, they'll connect it a lot of times to Kurt Cobain and to the music and the grunge music that came out of here. And, and, and so that's kind of what they attribute it to. As we're driving by, I just felt like the Spirit of the Lord was saying, listen, I am up to something that I am doing in this region through my church that is gonna far supersede the reputation of Kurt Cobain that's out there. Like this, 
The destiny and the desire of God over this city is that it would be known as a place of healing and a place of restoration and a place of God miracles and a place where a move of God took place and happened. Wouldn't it be amazing to look back, you know, have future generations look back and read stories about the move of God that broke out in this town called Aberdeen and in this area. But that takes people who will dream. That takes people who, who, who will partner with God and say, God, I want to pray audacious prayers. God, I want to partner with you. I want to see the church grow. I want to see all of my family members saved. I want to see everybody come to know Christ. I want to be a part of this, what the prophets are calling a billion soul harvest. I want to be a part of the greatest move of God on the earth. We literally, everybody that's in tune to what the Holy Spirit is saying is saying the same thing. They are saying that we are living in a time where the, the, the magnitude of what God is and is going to do in the earth is unprecedented in the history of the world. And we live at that time. Not to survive, not to just eke our way through, but to be a part of a fresh move of God where the power of God would fill our lives in a fresh and a new way. And people would begin to hear a sound. People would come to church because they hear about a great God who heals and delivers and sets people free. Yeah. 10 years ago, uh, my wife, uh, her aunt, Aunt Jan, was diagnosed with stage four uh, throat cancer. The doctor said, there's, there's really nothing we can do for you. Um, this is it. I mean, you just, you just have to live with this and you will probably die from this. And so uh, friends and family began to pray. And we happened to be uh, going into a season of 21 days of fasting and prayer as a church. And so we began to, as a family, diligently begin to pray for Aunt Jan. And, and we're like, God, where, where, where the doctor's power and ability has run out, God, we're, we're talking to the one who is able to do immeasurably more than we ask, think, or imagine. She has need, God. We need a miracle in her body. And so we just begin to pray. And I remember this one time praying, and Isaac was five at the time. Even after first service, he said, I, I don't even remember that part of the story, Dad. But he was, he was praying, and just out of him comes this prayer. He says, God, I pray you kill that cancer in Aunt Jan. I was like, right? We are like, whoa. Like, yeah. Come on, somebody. You know, like this little five-year-old, just that, that faith, God, kill that cancer in Aunt Jen. Well, we would fast forward a, a few months later after the fast and people have been praying and we would get the doctor report back from her aunt that she has a complete, clear bill of health. All signs of cancer gone. We were just with her a couple months ago. Still 10 and a half, 11 years later, all signs of cancer ridded from her body. Why? Because that's the God we serve who took our sicknesses on the cross. Not just our sins, but our illnesses and our pains, our addictions. Jesus paid the price so we could be healed, so we could be restored. I was just in Costa Rica um, in February, and we got to partner with a church there called the Lion of the Tribe of Judah Church. And the pastor's name is Pastor Christian. And he was an ex-Diablo gang member who got saved and is running this ministry. And they have a ministry uh, specifically reaching out to the gangs in their area. You'll see a picture coming up here of, of their ministry. And in, in this top photo here, 
Um, it's a big outreach that they planned. Um, and and uh, they, they were wanting to do a, a huge kind of evangelistic outreach in a field and uh, in this very uh, dark area that is ruled by the Diablo gang. And everybody said, you can't do, you can't do it there. It's too, it's not safe. They're going to steal your equipment. They're probably going to hurt you and they're going to harm you. Like everybody said, don't try and do it in that area. But Pastor Christian just felt the Holy Spirit saying, I specifically want you in that area. So they went ahead with the event and they rented $80,000 worth of equipment uh, to be able to put on the event. And after the first night was done, he got down from the stage and hundreds of people, uh, well, thousands had come, hundreds of people got saved. And when he got down from the stage, um, he was in a conversation with another leader and someone came up to him and said, Pastor Christian, somebody's calling for you. They're, they're asking for you to come. Would you come speak with them? And he said, well, I'm busy right now. Tell them to wait. And they said, no, Pastor Christian, it's Peter from the Diablos. He's at the end of the field and he's really distraught. He said he needs to talk to you now. Well, Peter is the lead guy running the Diablo gang in this part of Costa Rica. Now the Diablos kill you uh, if they don't like you. They run drugs, they run prostitution, sex trafficking. And so Pastor Christian goes to the back of the field, calls to Peter who comes out from the trees, is visibly shaken and falls on his knees before Pastor Christian and begins to confess to him, me and my friends, we came here to steal from you guys and to do harm to you but something has come over me and I feel this shame. He said, I feel this shame and he's crying. I feel this shame and, 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 I, and you need to pray for me that this would leave me because it's so disturbing to me. And so Pastor Christian said, okay, well, we'll call to your friends. And so Peter would call to his friends. 50 Diablo gang members would come out of the forest. All of them experiencing the same thing. All of them would kneel at the backside of that field in front of Pastor Christian who would share the gospel with them and all 50 gang members would give their lives to Jesus. Come on. Don't tell me God can't do it, man. Don't tell me. That family member, that friend, that person that we've just put in a category of God can't reach them, God can absolutely reach them. He's the God who's able to do it, what? Immeasurably more than we ask, than we think, than we imagine. It's time to dream again. It's time to let God remind us of who he is. It's time for God to convince us again with the promises he's given us. What promises from God do you presently have in your life that you have not yet seen fulfilled that you've given up believing for? You've stopped praying about. You've just, you've, they, they didn't happen and so you've kind of set them aside. What promises? What has God spoken to you in previous seasons of your life that you used to believe for that you're not believing for? What need do you have? What area do you need to see breakthrough in your life? And you've got, there's, there's nobody, no human can help you. But God is waiting. He's waiting for you to draw near. He's waiting for you to lift your eyes and say, God, I, I, I believe that you are not just able, but you are willing. That you are willing and able to meet that need, to do a miracle. You see, when miracles happen, they're meant to point 
to Jesus. That's the point of it. The point is that with Aunt Jan, no doctor could fix it. So Jesus gets all of the glory. We didn't do that. Jesus did that. See, Jesus is building his church. And, 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 and if, if, we, if we go with what Jesus is building, it's going to be a church that's full of power and a church that's full of miracles and altars that are going to have people's lives changed and transformed, which I know you're already seeing. But I'm just saying what is coming is of a greater magnitude than any of us could imagine. And God's saying, dream with me, believe with me, partner with me, be a part of what I'm doing in the earth. Romans chapter four says, against all hope, Abram and hope believed and became the father of many nations. As it's been said to him, so shall your offspring be. Listen to these words, without weakening in his faith, he faced the fact that his body was as good as dead since he was a hundred years old and that Sarah's womb was also dead. Yet he did not waver through unbelief regarding the promise of God, but rather was strengthened in his faith and gave glory to God, being what? Fully persuaded that God had power to do what he had promised. He had a promise from God and he had a present contradiction in his physical body, could not work properly to be able to make a baby with his wife. His wife's body was not working and his body was not working. And it says he faced the fact that things were not working but he did not waver in unbelief. This is my reality, but I'm not gonna let it ruin my faith. I'm not gonna let it talk me out of my promise. I'm not gonna let it talk me out of who God is and what God has said. In, in, in fact, it said he was strengthened in his faith. Why? Because he chose to look to God. He chose to look to the promise. He chose to lift his eyes off of the contradiction and put his eyes on the one who had spoken, on the one who had said. Without weakening in his faith, he faced the fact, he did not waver, he held strong, and he saw his breakthrough. And all of us have contradictions in our lives right now. All of us are facing things. And it is not unbelief to say these are the facts. That's not unbelief, that's reality. The reality is I have illness in my body. And then we bring God's reality into that reality. But the Bible says, you were wounded for our transgressions. You paid the price for my sin, for my infirmities. For my transgressions, for my infirmities, you were wounded. You, you died on the cross for all of that. We begin to bring God's promise and reality into our circumstance and say, if I'm going to believe something, I'm going to believe what God has said and what God has spoken. I'm going to choose to believe in his power and in his ability. Something interesting happens in our lives when we believe for miracles and then we don't see them. Like when... My family was believing for my dad to be healed from his heart disease, and then he died at the age of 64. And you're like, we were praying, we were believing, we were asking. And at that moment, we, we all had a decision to make. Let the heart be wounded, change how we see God, change what we believe about healing, or put that into the category of, I don't have a good answer for it, but I do know that God is still good. I do know that God still heals. 
And oftentimes what happens is we don't do that though. We rewrite our theology and we're like, God, you're not good. We prayed, we fasted, we believed. I guess you don't do miracles. And we begin to agree with, the, with, with all of that. And what happens is what it says in Proverbs 13, verse 12. It says that our hearts become afflicted with, with what it describes as hope deferred. Hope deferred makes the heart sick. Where you believed for something and you didn't see it happen and it leaves you wounded in your faith. The healing didn't come. The relationship was not restored. The marriage fell apart. And hope deferred makes our hearts sick. And if we choose to live in that sick place, we will die in that sick place. Or we choose to step over into the realm of God. I'm going to fix my eyes on who you are. I'm going to fix my eyes on your character and your nature. I'm going to remind myself that you're good, that you're faithful, that you're consistent, that you're wise, that you're all powerful. And I don't know about this, but I'm not going to let this talk me out of what the Bible tells me about who you are. And in fact, I'm going to let you come into my heart in a fresh way. And I'm going to begin to heal that, that wounded faith. Begin to heal that area or else you're just going to pray little prayers and believe for little things and live small. And, and you will be the negative voice in the next generation that comes up that wants to go pray and go preach to the Satanist church. You'll be the one sitting there going, yeah, I tried that. Yeah, I, I've been there. I get it. You're all excited. You came back from youth camp and miracles and all this. Yeah, well, I've been there and it didn't happen. And guess what? Guess what's coming up and out of you and me when we do that? Our bitterness, our unforgiveness, our pain, our resentments. Listen, there are certain things that you will never have an answer for. And if there is no good answer, don't form one. I don't know why my dad died. I don't. I don't have an answer, but it lives in a bucket that I don't know. But I do but but here's what I do know as I look to the scripture. I do know emphatically that God is faithful and good and all powerful. And I didn't see that miracle, but I could I could tell you another hour of miracles that I have seen. And I could choose to focus on the not or I could choose choose to focus on the now. Here's some lyrics from a, a song that Elevation Church put out that I think are so prophetic for this season that we live in because I think this is what God wants to touch inside of us. It says, when did I start to forget all the great things you did? When did we forget? When did I throw away faith for the impossible? How did I start to believe you weren't sufficient for me? Why do I talk myself out of seeing miracles? Like if there's a way to end our days here on earth, it's a day believing for miracles and believing for great things and, and believing for God to use our life, to impact other people's lives. That's the way to, to end like the Hall of Famers, that they died, they started in faith, they lived by faith, and it says they died in faith even when they didn't see the promise, even when they didn't achieve what they, what they wanted, they died in faith. And we got a generation that needs to be quickened and awakened again 
inside the church to believe. To believe what we know to be true, but God says, I want it to come alive in your spirit again. I want to hear it in the way that you pray. I want to hear those kill cancer prayers. I want to hear you praying for campuses and your city. I want you to to, to begin to pray for the harvest of souls to come into the kingdom of God. To begin to dream again and, and pray and believe again. Listen, those 50 Diablo gang members, they heard a sound in that gathering. And it was the sound of the the, the presence of the Lord, the love of God. And they found a power that could deliver them from their past and heal them and restore them. And that's where we live. Where God's saying, I want to do that in you. I I want to awaken my church to believe again in a fresh and a new way. That when people... Like, let it be said that we live so differently in the coming days that when people tell you it's, it's just unreasonable, you don't even argue with them, you just kind of just smile. You just kind of smile. And you just think, that's, you know, typical. You just smile and you go, but you don't know my God. You don't know my God. The American church has gotten, we've, got, we've gotten very good at doing church. And I like lights and screens and online and all the, all the stuff just as much as anybody. But I'm telling you, like, like, none of that amounts to a hill of beans if there's no power. People are looking for power. And if we can carry the power of God in our life to set people free, if we can see God move like that in our lives and through our lives as a community, there are not enough chairs in this place for the people that will come. They will hear the sound. They'll be like, I heard something's going on down at that Harbor City Church. I heard, well, what'd you hear? Well, I heard someone came out of a wheelchair last week. I heard they're seeing people healed of mental illness over there. I heard that they got a recovery program and they just lay hands on people and pray for them. And people's mindsets are shifting and changing. See, you see what I mean? The reputation, God knows how to build the church. But it has to be built on his character and his nature. And thank God for amazing leaders who are building that way. But in this season, you as a community, you have an opportunity to partner with the vision of this house in an unprecedented way. To bring your faith to that vision, to be able to say, you know what, Pastor Doug, Pastor Lois, God gave me a dream. I don't know what to do with this, but I'm just, I just want to submit that to you. Let me know if that resonates with you. What would happen if rather than one or two people dreaming, we all began to dream, we all began to partner, we all began to say, you know what, we can hear from God, we can add, we can contribute. Wherever you are this morning, wherever I am, God does not want us to stay there. God is saying, come on, come up out of that place. Come into a place of newfound freedom. Would you stand with me? Thank you for letting me take a couple extra minutes. Thank you. I want to pray for us. Would you lift your hands? Father, I pray right now 
Where hope deferred has made the heart sick. God, I pray right now in Jesus' name, you'd begin to minister Holy Spirit to those areas of pain and you would begin to heal that hope deferred. And God, I pray that you would release a spirit of faith in a fresh and a new way to come up inside of every person in this room and every person online. And God, I pray that you would help us believe again. God, that you would quicken the ability to dream again with you in Jesus' name. God, we pray that you would open our eyes in a fresh way to see you in a fresh and a new way. God, we declare this morning, you are able to do immeasurably more than we would ask or think or imagine. So God, establish this in our hearts. And God, even now, begin to stir that dreaming ability inside of us for this season. God, in all the areas of need, that are represented in this church. We pray for miracles in health, miracles in, in relationships, miracles in finances, miracle breakthrough power in Jesus' name, in the mighty and the powerful name of Jesus. We call prodigal sons and daughters home in Jesus' name. We call marriages healed and restored in Jesus' name young and old running together, honoring each other, encouraging one another. God, we pray your kingdom come and your will be done in our lives in a fresh and in a new way. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. How many know we've heard from God?